Thanks to Sana Skin Studio for supporting the No podcast. Sana is a skin studio that is shifting the relationship with your skin and your products through goal-driven facials, real guidance, and clean skincare. Stay tuned for our promo code so you can receive $25 off of your first facial at Sana Skin Studio. Welcome to the No Podcast with me, Nikki Spo. What is up, folks? You are listening to The Know with me, Nikki Spo. Welcome. So I have yet to have a guest double up on my show, but I really love connecting with my friend Danielle, who you got to know on episode 24. Danielle Kreese is a wife, daughter, sister, traveler. She is a boat accident survivor and a certified trainer. She is someone who has battled deep depression, who has fallen into toxic lifestyles of eating disorders and literally clawed herself out of darkness. So I've shared this with my audience. I have been there. And while it's definitely a difficult topic, I feel like being able to connect with Danielle has made me feel less alone in the journey. So fitness has always been a passion of Danielle's, but for as long as she could remember, she also struggled with healthy movement, believing that she had to spend like countless hours in the gym, agonizing over the food situation and really agonizing over herself. Uh, From our conversations, she has shown how she has come to understand that no matter how much she worked out, she was never satisfied. I don't think this is that uncommon. This is why we're going to talk about it today. And all of these experiences, the personal growth and the healing has helped Danielle Kreese become who she is today. And it has allowed her the space to create DC Fit, Strength Beyond Circumstance, a 12-week program. So Danielle started, created this program out of her own deep need for this work. And in a sense, she is teaching what she herself so desperately needed to learn for so many years of her life. Danielle Kreese's deepest desire and her life's purpose is to help others access their power, to find freedom in who they are and operate from a place of self-love and find the balance between growth and evolution and also acceptance and gratitude. So without further ado, I want to welcome my friend and a huge inspiration, Danielle Kreese. Okay, so welcome back, Danielle. I'm so excited to have you back on The Know. Welcome. Thank you. Thank you. I'm so uh, honored to be back here again. I'm so just thrilled to do this. It's amazing. I'm so excited to have the opportunity to chat with you again. So last episode that we did together, we mostly talked about your journey to recovery from your massive boating accident in which you nearly lost your leg and your life. And you became, and still are to an extent, paralyzed, right? And we talked about your journey to recovery. And today you are a certified trainer and you recently developed your new program, DC Fit, Strength Beyond Circumstance, a 12-week program. So first and foremost, congratulations on that. It's a big deal to have your creativity, knowledge, experience come to life from where it starts as like the seedling of an idea and seeing how it blossoms into a reality and seeing the positive impact that it can have on people. So big congrats going out to you for that. Oh, thank you. It's one of the hardest things I think I have ever done (laughs) is creating uh, this program and trying to make it... um, a really holistic thing and, and a really delicate thing. And I know that we're going to talk about this in a little bit, but just like finding that balance between actually helping people versus kind of like feeding into some toxic ideas about health. So it's been a really interesting journey. What role 
do fitness professionals have in people's lives and what is your responsibility? So I feel like um, instinctively when people think about fitness instructors and even the way that I was kind of brought into it and the way that I was taught to step into that role, um, one, you're there to kind of help people with body composition, whether it's losing weight or whether it's toning up, but really changing the body. And they actually, I remember studying for my personal training certification and they really made a distinction and uh, with you setting your boundaries of what you are not supposed to do in regards to helping them. Like you're not supposed to be a sounding board for their life. You're not supposed to kind of step out of that realm of like, this is your workout. This is how it's going to help you with this specific goal. And personally, that always felt like it was too much on the surface for me. I like to dive deeper. And I remember when I was you know, teaching at Orange Theory or teaching at F45 and even and then later within my own boot camps, always like trying to throw out as many like positive affirmations and like emotional support as possible because, you know, it's really easy to overlook that aspect, especially when you only have one hour with someone. And, and, you know, I think it's such an important thing to step into different roles for people, even if you're just that personal trainer, because, you know, a lot of fitness instructors and health professionals have an idea of, you know, what healthy is supposed to look like. And, you know, sometimes we impose our own ideas of what it's supposed to look like on our clients. And obviously, society, social media, everything we see in magazines and movies dictates what a quote unquote healthy body is supposed to look like. And it's just really interesting because if you look throughout human history, that idea of a healthy body has fluctuated as much as the body has fluctuated. Like you look back at Marilyn Monroe, who is super, super curvy. And then you look at 90s uh, supermodels and they were like insanely, insanely skinny. And it's kind of just like, I think our role needs to be more helping someone find their like healthiest body and also, um, you know, kind of changing the narrative that it doesn't have to fit into a certain box. It doesn't have to be a size zero. Like the skinniest person in the gym is not necessarily the healthiest person in the gym. And I feel like we have a responsibility um, to really start to change that narrative for people. It sounds like you feel like there is a direct correlation between the emotional and physical aspect of it, that they're directly um, linked in a sense. A hundred percent. I, you know, I've witnessed it so many times and I've witnessed it with myself and maybe you um, can understand this as well, but no matter how much you work out or how much weight you end up losing or how much your body changes, um, if you don't do the mental work, if you don't actually accept yourself or if you don't make those changes from a place of self-love versus a place of self-hate, then one, those changes won't be sustainable. And, and two, you won't find that happiness that you think it's going to give you. Like I, I have gotten to like as skinny as I could possibly get. And I have worked out a bajillion hours a day and it either never felt like it was enough or I was still comparing myself to other people and their bodies and their journeys. And, you know, I just, I don't think you could have one without the other, especially when you're trying to make actual um, long-term change in your life. You know who actually posted about that is um, Kristen Cavallari. You remember The Hills? 
Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> so actually, like recently, it must have been like a couple days ago, and it just came to my mind. She just posted a picture, like a series, like a carousel post of her at her skinniest, and she was like, "This is what I used to strive for, but I was miserable." Mm-hmm. And she picture, and it's you know, it's of her tush, and she's in a, in a bathing suit, but she talks about how she was like worried about posting this picture because like everybody would just think it's a thirst trap or whatever, but like that she actually feels the best she's ever felt in her life. And she's however many pounds heavier, but she's fit and she's healthy. Um, and I think it's really important for celebrities, right. To like who we all like society looks at these celebrities, right. Especially like somebody coming from a, in a reality show position where it's like fake reality, right. Like to be going out there and saying like, the skinny is not it for me. Like I was the saying, like I'm, I was trying to be something and it sucked for me on the inside. So I love when I see people in position where they have like a, a big platform, um, normalizing that narrative. And so I, I also want to talk about diet culture. Like, how do you feel about diet culture? I think it's the absolute worst. You have like the Atkins diet and then you had the South Beach diet and then you had the zone diet. Now there are all these different things and it's all, you know, to a certain extent, a lot of these diets are eliminating certain macronutrients from your diet. And even if they're not, they're kind of deprivation diets, right? So they're eliminating, eliminating major things or trying to control major things. And one of the things that I think, aside from the physical implications of eliminating whole food groups from your diet. Um, I think one of the biggest dangers of dieting is, again, and I will circle back to this over and over again, is its effect on our mental health. Because, you know, I've been learning this a lot. And there's this movement called Health at Every Size right now. And it really has influenced me quite a big deal. Um, And as humans, if you look around, our bodies are all wildly different and as they should be. It's kind of what makes people so beautiful is that we're all unique in in who we are and how we look and how we show up in this world. And when, you know, our bodies have this like this set point of what we should naturally kind of fall weight wise, the way our, our body kind of feels it's most comfortable, it's healthiest weight, you know, you're not depriving, but you're also not overdoing it. So we all have this set point. And when we're dieting, we start messing with that set point. And there are a lot of things that start to happen within the body that we're unaware of that kind of set us up for failure when it comes to dieting. So a couple of examples are that, you know, when you're in a diet state, you, your metabolism will lower, your energy levels will lower, your body will kind of instinctively, um, and in a very real, real way, start to crave higher fat foods, because it thinks it needs more energy. Because, you know, we, we think about the word calorie, but calorie is just another word for energy. So we're in this deprivation state. So our body starts to crave more energy. And there are actually two big hormones that play a role in how, how much we feel full or how are the signals for feeling hunger. And so leptin is our signal, our hormone signal for fullness. And ghrelin is our hormone, hormone signal for um, feeling hungry. And when we're in this diet state, our leptin hormone actually starts to decrease So we don't get those signals of satiety and of feeling full. And then when we're in this diet state, our ghrelin hormones start to increase. So that means we feel 
like we physically feel hungrier. It's not just that we're in this deprivation state, but our hormone is our hormones are indicating to us that we need more food in order to support our bodies. Um, and the, the, the reason I, I like to point this out is because when it comes to dieting, there's so much shame and guilt around how much or how little we succeed. So, you know, people will be like, oh, just try it again. Or you just didn't have enough willpower this time, or you just didn't want it badly enough. And we're not realizing that our bodies are having a very real reaction to what we're putting it through. And it's really interesting to me as I continue to learn this, but it has a very evolutionary connection. Like our, our physical bodies, our lifestyles have changed a lot since we were early humans, but our physical bodies in the way that they kind of work haven't. Um, and so when you think about living however long ago, and you know you didn't know exactly when your next meal would come, and you kind of were always in this state of, potential starvation because you didn't know when you'd find the next uh, the next animal that you were hunting or if you were a hunter-gatherer, whatever the case was. So when our bodies believe that we're still in that kind of starvation state, that kind of not knowing when the next meal is going to come, that's why we start to you know, crave higher fat foods and why our metabolism goes down because our body is literally trying to conserve energy or get more energy to keep us alive. This takes me back, Danielle, to like the early stages of motherhood, like early motherhood. I remember with my first son, just like I was breastfeeding. I was trying to breastfeed anyway. And I was hungry all the time. I was just like starving, right? I'm burning all of these calories. Like you said, energy. I'm burning all this energy to produce the milk and give the milk to my baby. And um, I was just eating all the time. And in that situation, like, it was very common, like, m- moms will lose weight, right? They're just eating and eating and eating. But this is how much they're burning, right? And I remember thinking to myself, no, I, I like, I had put the pressure on myself and, and I, I let society do this for me too. Like, I need to lose weight. I need to get my body back, my pre-baby body. I have to do this. Like, I can't eat. Like, so I remember having to, like, sit down and be like you're trying to feed a, a little human and nourish yourself. And so if you're going to have pasta and that's going to give you more energy right now, like you are going to have the pasta with the meat sauce and add some cheese and that's how it's going to be, you know, but then also it's like dealing with it now, as you know, I'm pregnant. I'm like, I have the biggest sweet tooth. I'm like, oh, by the way, thank you. But I'm like, I, it, at midnight, I'm like, let me go have two, two pieces of cake. You know, like my, I know that that's not, like it, it might satisfy like an immediate craving and right. We can get into a like, whole like conversation about addiction, which I don't even like, we don't have to get into today, but to talk about also to like backtrack and so- talk about like what you mentioned about willpower. Like it's not necessarily about will having the willpower, right? It's really the inside job, but going back to this cake situation, it's like, I know at midnight, I two slices of cake is not the nourishment that my body really needs. Like on a psychological standpoint, I might think that I want all this sugar. Maybe my body is indeed craving a sugar substance, a sugary substance, but that can be supplemented. Like I have to have the wherewithal to make those healthy decisions for myself, right? And that's where I'm like, I'm not trying to validate, oh, well, my body's craving sugar, so have all the cake, you know, like I have to have enough awareness and you can guide me in this thought process, but like to say, okay, I'm craving sugar. I'm craving something sweet. Maybe I get a piece of melon instead of 
two slices of cake. And usually, Danielle, when I do something like that, I am satiated. So how do you balance all of that as, as a person in your position who is like guiding other people? I think that it's a practice. It's a practice just like if you were going to have a meditation practice or if you were going to have a workout routine. It There has to be um, and, and I fully believe in the whole 80-20 rule. Like, I think that food is something that is meant to be celebratory and pleasurable and enjoyed. And we have this one life. So, like, why are we just going to eat a rice cake for, like, our entire life? I mean, so it's just kind of, it's allowing yourself to have that. But, I mean, I doubt that you're having two pieces of cake every single day. The more that you tell yourself, Lo, I can't, I can't, I can't. It's like, I'm sure you've experienced this with your sons. You know, you tell a child that they can't do something and it just makes them want to do it even more. So in my opinion, it's a practice of one, really listening to your body and assessing yourself and kind of being a detective and being like, am I actually hungry? Or is this triggered by some emotion and that... Uh, you know, or, you know, am I literally physically hungry? And then there's also been some studies that have shown that after you kind of have that sweet, delicious goodness, the more and more you have it, you're not necessarily getting that same like pleasure reward just because you, you continue to eat it. So kind of like, again, getting a little curious about what's happening in your body and being like, okay, does this fifth bite like, or does this second piece, like, really make me feel as good as that first piece made me feel? Does it taste as good? Like, is it as delicious? And it's it's really just, you know, we've, with the uh, diet culture, we've lost our sense of listening to ourselves and trusting our bodies. And, you know, that's kind of what we have to get back to. And that's why with this program, like, I, you know, I think there's a time and a place, you know, I, I do not put anything negative on like macro coaches or anything like that, because there are some people who really um, benefit from that kind of regimen. But in, in my opinion, just telling someone what to eat isn't necessarily it. It's, it's thinking about our relationships with food. It's, you know, trying to practice and you, you hear this word being thrown around, but like intuitive eating and, and sometimes it's really challenging and, and this won't change in a day. That's the thing. You have to get curious about what's triggering you. Are you actually hungry? And then like, is this as good as it was in those first few bites? And, and like you said, you know, you could have a melon and in your, in your mind, like once you do start to eat that, you're like, this is freaking delicious. Like, right. That's you know, usually how I feel by the way. Yeah, I completely agree. I, Jeff and I, uh, my husband, we have our little garden and we've been pulling these fresh strawberries like every single day. And they're so sweet. And I just, they're so satisfying. Again, I, I really think it's a practice and it comes down to being a detective about yourself and just starting to try to listen to yourselves, which, you know, when you're dieting, you either try to like not eat for as long as possible or you try to eat the same thing that's super bland for as long as possible. And like, how are you supposed to sustain that? You're going to snap at some point. So why not bring in things that you love and just learn how to integrate them into your food relationship and into your food routine instead of just thinking that they're like, quote unquote, good food and bad food, because that's a 
that's the other thing. Like if you eat quote unquote bad food, then you start to think you're bad. The soundbite here that I'm like, that I just, I totally love that you said is with diet culture, we've lost our sense of listening to ourselves. I think that's like such a big takeaway. And Danielle, I love that you talked about the, like the comparison to what we do with children, like, and the thinking we're bad, right? That there's a bad food, right? Um, I, you know, I try, I don't love for my children to eat so much processed sugar, right? And so much processed juice, like, you know, like with toddlers, toddlers love juice. We've never made it like, a, you're not allowed to do this thing. There's, there's little fruit juice packs in our fridge all the time. There's, it's a fully stocked fridge of, of juice packs. And my kids, every once in a while, I'll say, would you like a juice? And most of the time they'll say, no, thank you. Sometimes they'll say yes. And then they wind up drinking half the fruit pout, the fruit, whatever juice. And they're done with it. They go to a birthday party. They're not like, oh my gosh, there's juice here because mom doesn't <laughs> let me have it. And they go on a juice drinking frenzy. They're just like, okay, they might have half a juice box. Maybe they have the whole thing and we're good. We're like, okay, great. Moving on. You know, and it, it ain't no thing, but a chicken wing. So we, we move on. It wasn't a good or a bad thing. They don't have this relationship with like, with, with, oh my gosh, mommy doesn't let me have juice. And the same thing, you know, I had my cake last night. I asked my kids, Chaco Dante, would you like a piece of cake? I split a little piece of cake for them. They ate, they didn't even finish the whole thing. And I'm like, okay, good. You had a little piece of cake. It wasn't like you have to earn this cake. You have to deserve this cake. If you're good, you can have a piece of cake. Right. Right. You know? Like I try to avoid like rewarding myself and my, my kids, you know, like every once in a while, I'd be like, you know what? I went the whole week. I really just, I want to have this ice cream. Like, you know, on some you level, I have that ice cream. Is <laughs> that you deserve to have that ice cream? Like you should, right. but I'm like, I try not to earn the ice right. cream. Right. You know what right. I mean? Like teach myself that I have to like suffer and like, Oh yeah. Burn myself out to like deserve this ice cream. Like if I want an ice cream, like I can have the ice cream right in moderation and then go back to like this whole thing of like then listening to myself and saying you know what how's that going to make me feel like I might feel good having a few scoops of the I mean a few bites of the ice cream or whatever and then maybe put it aside and I'm good and I'm satiated um I love everything that you talked about and especially the part about like listening to ourselves and having people like tell us what to do like how often it is that we like put the trust in somebody else to be like this is what you should be eating and this is what you should be doing and the count this and measure that and all this stuff. And, you know, on some level, you're, people are hiring you to tell them what to do too, right? You're, they're like, we're going to be listening to you, but you're like, the goal is to obviously create something that eventually has become, become self-sustainable. I remember I had this friend in high school and her mom had a really, really unhealthy relationship with food. And she subsequently had a really, really unhealthy relationship with food. So being aware of that, you you really can impact your children or the people around you based on your own actions. So I think that's really awesome the way that you kind of tackle all that. And then I also just wanted to say that, you know, I saw a really uh, interesting statistic and it was asking... I don't know if it was specifically women, if it was people in general, asking them what their biggest challenges were with food. And like what to eat was at the very bottom of the list. Like you never look at like a chicken salad and think like, I'm going to regret this. Like I probably shouldn't be having this, you know? So, <laughs> so we kind of know, you know, we kind of inherently know, like we know vegetables are good. We know like whole foods are good fruits and, and all of that good stuff. Um, but 
the biggest thing was emotional eating and stress eating and the food relationship aspect of all of that. That's really why, you know, I didn't go down the macro path to just be like, these are your numbers. You have to hit these numbers now, you know, put this into your life forever. But like, you know, in my modules and in my lessons and stuff, it's just like, can we recognize certain patterns about the way that we eat? Do we know that, can we recognize certain triggers? So, oh, I know that every time I get off the phone with this friend or this family member, it just stresses me out to no end. And then I go and I reach for something in the refrigerator. And, you know, if you start to recognize those patterns for yourself, you could, you could start to set yourself up to be successful. Like, okay, I know that when I get off the phone with my boss, after a certain meeting, it's going to trigger something. So maybe have a friend like that you reach out to beforehand and be like, look, I know that I'm going to be triggered like by this conversation. Can we talk afterwards? So instead of just feeling like you have to manage these emotions by yourself, you reach out to someone instead of reaching into the refrigerator or, you know, you kind of just like set up a plan for yourself so that you can you can support your future self because you start to recognize these patterns. Because at the end of the day, food is never going to fix our feelings. And we keep turning to it as if it is going to, uh, you know, help us emotionally. And, you know, that I will say that there is comfort and stuff like that in food. But at the end of the day, when you when you're usually trying to fix sadness or loneliness or boredom or anger or frustration with food, you don't actually end up feeling better. If you do, it is a momentary feeling and then the feeling returns. So again, be a detective. How can I recognize these triggers? How can I set myself up so that I have something else to do, you know, if I know that this is going to happen to me? And then also, how can I release this feeling in a different way? I want to take a minute to thank our sponsors, Sana Skin Studio. The best way for me to describe Sana is that it feels like coming home. Unlike traditional facials, Sana's facials are rooted in education and I love this so much. Every experience I've had at Sana has been a chance to learn more about my skin and its needs. I love that the facials are effective while also being accessible enough to be a monthly ritual rather than a yearly splurge. I'm honored to be able to provide our audience with a promo code. Use the code THENOGLOW for $25 off of your first facial at Sana when booking via sanaskinstudio.com. I love that you brought up loneliness because I think that it takes a lot of awareness to even address that address loneliness as a reality. Human nature, we tend to like compartment, like we tend to put all the negative emotions into one box and be like mad or sad, mm-hmm, right? Mm-hmm. There's like so many layers to mad or sad, mm-hmm. right? On like what the root feeling is. And I think the example that you gave, like if you have to have a stressful conversation with a family member, like having someone to talk with about that so that you don't have to go through it alone, I think that that is major. And I think that like there's a direct correlation, in my opinion, between loneliness and overindulgence in any capacity, right? And I know that from my own experience with drink, but also like with shopping and like also also with overworking out. I think it's really important that we look at the relationship of like the, that overindulgence and what root is like is triggering 
that. And I'm really, I'm just grateful that you brought up the loneliness factor because I think that like, well, especially as an, a brand for me is like the whole thing behind the no is like camaraderie and like being together and not going through these things alone. And, you know, it's part of how I personally identify as an individual, but also like as a brand that we don't have to go through the hard things alone. We move into storytelling, right? As a brand, I identify as a truth speaker and a storyteller. And I think like when we think about telling stories, we might think of like fictional stories and characters, right? If I say I'm a storyteller, I'm like telling a fib or I'm telling a like a, right. like a fable or something. Um, but I think it's really interesting because personally for almost all of my life, I've allowed myself to believe or buy into the quote stories of myself that actually felt fictitious to me mm-hmm. or a story of an old version of myself. So it's been really important for me in my own healing journey to rewrite or re-narrate my story on my terms. So in your experience, how has like reframing your story impacted you? In literally every single way. (laughs) Um, I feel like we have so many stories that we have ingrained in our minds that we don't even start to question them anymore. We don't ask ourselves and everything comes back to the self again. Like you're eating, your relationship with yourself, you're not overtraining and listening to your body. Everything comes back to to the self and to actually listening again. And you know, we we tell ourselves these stories for our entire lives that we, one, we believe them to be absolute truths. 100%. And two, again, we don't question them. And Yeah, I'm like, it's fact. Yeah, it's fact. Like, I've uh, posted about this recently, but my maiden name is Danielle Press. So I'm going to give you the main story of my life that has uh, created all these little sub-stories. My name is Danielle Press. I've been struggling with depression since I was a little girl. Um even beyond elementary school, you know, I shortened my name and I was like, oh, okay, Danielle Press is depressed, which is associated with being depressed. I'm set up to be like this. Like I am destined to be depressed for my entire life. Like my namesake is basically my destiny. And I remember when I married Jeff, like we didn't do anything traditional, but I couldn't wait to change my name. And and one, because I was honored to be with him and I love him and, and you know, whatever. Um, but I was just like this, I'm not that person anymore. Like I need to separate myself from that name. And what was funny was that that name, that was just a story. Like I could have been Danielle Press for the rest of my life and completely evolved and continued to evolve. So to, to recognize the stories we tell ourselves and to understand that we, the, the amount of power these stories have over us is solely our, um, within our control. Our belief in these stories is what gives them the power. And if you can learn them, you can also unlearn them. And again, it's practice and it's time and it's awareness and it's listening to the self. And you know what? Like sometimes these stories have kept us safe in the past and it's asking ourselves, does this story still serve me? Is this story still true? 
And I find it happens a lot with people stepping into a health and fitness journey because so many people that have been my clients, before they even start, they talk about every failure they've had or they're afraid to invest in themselves because what if it's just another thing that they're wasting money on and blah, blah, blah. And I'm always like, well, join me because that's the exact work that we're going to be doing is not stepping into a situation with this idea that you're going to automatically fail at it. Um, or again, that you're bad at it or, you know, even the failures that we've had, like I guarantee each and every one of us has learned something from these perceived failures. So rewriting and reframing and acknowledging and like, you know, I had a little emotional breakdown the other day and I had to be like, hold on, this is like an old story that's coming back up you know that this isn't true. And I had to like literally like woosaw myself down and just sit with myself for a second. And um, one of the most beautiful things I think with mindset work is that it doesn't mean that these stories aren't going to periodically come up, but we're not stuck in them for as long. I mean, this like, it makes me emotional because I was like getting, I was getting like, my heart was starting to beat fast and I was like, am I going to cry right now? But it's like, (laughs) Our belief in these stories, this is what you said, our belief in these stories is what gives them power. And I I just like, I think about different versions of myself throughout my life and I'm like, holy shit, like I used to really believe in these stories and that whole time I was just feeding them and giving them more and more and more mm-hmm. power. And my gosh, like sometimes I get down on my knees at night, Danielle, and I just thank God that like I was able to crawl out of that space. You just gave me the chills. (laughs) Oh my gosh. You know, like, and I, I think about, do you watch Stranger Things? This is like side note. Do you watch Stranger Things? (laughs) Did you see? Okay. Episode four, um, where she's like with Vecna. Uh Uh-huh. Season four. And they play that song running up that hill. Yeah. And she's like, okay, I need to just stay with me here. Okay. Okay. (laughs) She's, running she's being uh, Vecna is like taking her over right and she's like in this ulterior world and she can't get out of it she can't get out of it she hears a song and then like that song brings her back to her friends that are like calling her back into the real world like please we want you to be happy we want you to be with us we want you to be this, this. be with us we want you to live we want you like I don't know about mm-hmm. you and I mean you know and you can tell me your experience with this but like you've struggled with depression I've struggled with depression I like bawled my eyes out at that episode because I was like that's what I felt like in my darkest days. Like I wanted to live, but I was so fucking stuck, man. I was so fucking stuck. I remember be- like watching that episode and thinking like, oh my gosh, I've had so many friends along the way, like pulling me back saying, Nikki, come, come, come. We want you to live in this light. Like come live in the light with us. And like, I just cried my eyes out on that episode because I'm like, how many people who've struggled with depression or self-worth have felt that? And like, whatever, full circle, bringing this into like the food conversation and what you're providing, like providing something that is so much more powerful than just like food, like a superficial food conversation. We're talking about like this, like the stories we tell ourselves, how powerful they are. And ultimately like we give them the power, you know? And like going back to like my relationship that I have with God and whatever, like I just think to myself, like, okay, I thank God all the time. I like, you wrote something also that I read. It's like, you had to crawl out of 
the that space mm-hmm. like to so that you could live in joy and whatever and it's crazy because i think about that all the time like i remember being so sad and depressed that i would just like i had to Im- i physically like i actually imagined myself crawling out of a cave like and into the light and so just I don't know how this conversation even turned into that direction. I think it was what you said, and I'm going to repeat it 5,000 times if I have to. Our belief in these stories is what gives them the power. That That's that's the takeaway here, guys, from that like, very emotional moment. That's what I'm getting at. I'm grateful that I like choose now to n- not give the power or like catch myself when I'm giving the story power. Right. Cause right. like sometimes it's instinctual, like, like you mentioned, like it's, it's something that's protected us mm-hmm. to an extent, but now I have the wherewithal to be like, Oh, you're doing that again. You're giving this story power and it doesn't belong in your life anymore. Right. Right. And I love and- you so much. <laughs> I did not, I was, did not mean to trigger anything, but I'm glad yes, that no, that- I'm happy we're talking about it. I'm glad that it resonated so deeply because it has had like this incredibly profound effect on me as well. And we can't tell ourselves that these stories are never going to show up again, you know, because we may have certain triggers and, you know, like we were, or, you know, when we're in a creation space, like I'm sure you uh, felt this, like going into this podcast, these stories of like, oh my God, but what if no one likes it? What if I'm not good enough? And actually one of your podcasts, really influenced my confidence in going and creating this program because I remember I forgot exactly what you were talking about but you were asking yourself this question over and over again like if x y and z doesn't work out will I be okay and like I have come back to that so many times and and I was listening to something yesterday and like to have confidence in something doesn't mean that you show up and like everything's perfect and you are like, I believe in myself like a thousand percent, but you have the confidence to be like, I'm going to step into this. And if it doesn't work out, I'm going to be okay. And I'm just going to re, you know, reframe it. But, you know, when we're going into these creation spaces, it's so easy to fall into worry and anxiety and kind of those same stories that limited us when we were younger. Um, So it's, just having the power to recognize it and to, again, like reframe it and say, this doesn't serve me anymore. And also just to know that like you have the tools to not stay in that darkness for, you know, whereas before we thought we would never get out of it. Like you could be like, okay, I'm in this space. I'm going to witness it. I'm not going to judge it. Like for 15 minutes, 30 minutes, maybe it even lasts a day, but then you wake up the next day and you like shake it off and you're like, one foot in front of the other, babe. Like, I got this. I've been really emotional lately. I think I've like cried a lot of my tears out already. But everything that you said, you know, about feeling I feeling like you were never going to get out of that space and like having people in your life who can like see you when you can't see yourself. Like, that's another really important thing. Like having that support. And, you know, sometimes we need to be that mirror for each other and like remind each other of our power. But when we understand that we give our thoughts that power, like to me, that's one of the most, it's like a great responsibility and also one of the most freeing things. Like it may feel like a lot, but at the same time, like there's so much freedom in it. Like some negative thought could come to your your head and you could be like, no, this is bullshit. And it could really just open up your entire world. And I think that these stories, 
literally seep into every single aspect of our life. And that's why I could never create something that was not going to touch on these things and not work on the mindset because, you know, you mentioned the name of my program and it's strength beyond circumstance. And, you know, depression was harder for me than recovering from my accident, like beyond harder for me than coming out of my accident. And when I was coming out of my accident, my main thing was to not fall back into the depression. I never thought that like, I would never walk again. Well, okay, that's a lie. I'm sure that that thought crossed my mind with the paralysis and everything. But, you know, my greatest adversary in that wasn't the physical injury. It was my headspace. I just I want to give people the tools to be able to step into any part of their life. And and when it becomes challenging and when it becomes hard, we don't completely lose ourselves. I'm so excited for you, Danielle, to, to like be on this journey of spreading your mission with other people, with DC Fit and your Strength Beyond Circumstance 12-week program. So tell me a little bit more about the program itself. Like what does the 12 weeks look like? Um, so you, there is the three pillars and these are my, my three pillars for kind of long-term sustainable success. And, and it's kind of progressive movement. So rather than just throwing, like, you're going to just drop into this strength program. Like we start with mobility and balance and we really build a foundation. And, um, I also just offer a plethora of, you know, alternative moves and modifications because I really want it to feel accessible to people and I want people to honor their body. So it's almost like this co-creation of I'm giving the framework for your workouts, but let's find the way that these workouts fit for you at your level and with your body opposed to you having to fit into these workouts. I mean, which is something you've done for yourself with your leg and your foot. Oh, if you, if anyone ends up in this program, like watching these, especially with balance components and stuff, like you see me wobbling all over the place. And sometimes I have to use a stick and sometimes I have to use a wall. And that's just the nature of my body. And it's never going to go away because the paralysis isn't going to go away, but that's not going to stop me from moving. So I just, I, I really want to empower people to move in the best way that honors where they are. Um, and then, so there's that component. So you get like all these workouts for a week and then we have just like lessons and and modules and, and we talk about our food relationships and we talk about recognizing our triggers and their little, um, exercises that you could do around that so that you really start to, to become aware. And then there's, like I said, there's just a lot of mindset work and conversations about our stories and conversations about the laws of the mind and how, You know, we always hear it all the time, but maybe it doesn't resonate. Like our thoughts have energy and they have force and therefore they have, you know, there's a reaction to that once it leaves our bodies and our thoughts get emitted either, you know, you talk about people talking about their aura, but we've all experienced it. Like when we've met someone and we've been like, I don't know, I don't get a good vibe, like at all. They don't even have to say anything. So it's not just like this woo-woo stuff, but we do give that off. And so it's going to have consequences, whether they're good consequences or bad consequences in our life. And, you know, how we could step into, I always come back to like accessing our power. And that may seem like this ambiguous thing to people, but it's, it's accessing your power and movement. It's trusting your body in our food relationships. And it's the mindset work that's not just going to help you in your health journey, but in every part of your life. Um, and I write 
uh, our, I write the meditations that we do. So we have like 10 minute meditations every single week that I write um, for everyone and journal prompts and recipes just to kind of like spark creativity, like not to tell people someone exactly what to eat, but to be like, look how delicious and satisfying and fulfilling this food can be while, while also fueling and like nourishing our bodies. So it's really just a bunch of resources um, that all integrate together so that, again, these habits start to become something that's just part of our life instead of like, oh, I'm just going to do this for 12 weeks and then everything that I did is just going to fall by the wayside. Right. So this is not like, okay, this is not a quick fix. Like, I think like we talked about diet culture a little bit, you know, in the beginning of our conversation. And it's like, like there's, there's the person who wants the quick fix, right. And they're, mm-hmm. they might do the fad diet and be like, I want, I'm so sick of living this way. I want the instant results, but really like the long-term, the long-term effects of this happen when you do the inside work and you're going to have, it might take longer but you're going to reap like lifelong benefits from doing that work. So DC Fit Strength Beyond Circumstance is not your fad, quick fix diet program. This is a program for life. That's what it sounds like to me. A hundred percent. And and the the funny thing is, is that we think that these other quick fixes are shortcuts, right? To get to this end result faster. But when they aren't things that you could sustain and you keep having to do it over and over and over and over, it's not a shortcut. So like your shortcut is actually doing the work and then having that for the rest of your life. And, you know, at least, (laughs) at least in regards to this program, like you kind of have, as long as the platform doesn't like implode somewhere, you have access to these workouts and these meditations and these modules you have lifetime access. It's a 12 week program, but you could always come back to them. So I just want, I just really want it to be accessible. And I really want it to make like true change, not just like surface level change, like deep down in our hearts and in our minds. And, you know, I think that when the mind is strong, like the body is strong and it all starts to align. And that's where like the magic happens. Danielle, powerful, powerful stuff. This is like one of the best conversations I've had in a really long time. I'm so grateful. Like, you know, I I go into these podcasts and I'm like, okay, like I meditate beforehand and I'm like, okay, this is my job is to hold space for people and their stories. And I just feel like you held a tremendous amount of space for me um, in my moment. And I just, this has been really such a magical conversation. I'm so grateful to have you on the show and I wish you the best. I want to sign up for it and um, <laughs> so, so excited for you and I'm, I'm grateful to know you. Oh, well, ditto, Nikki. And congratulations again on your Thank baby girl. Thank you. And on your continued success. It's such a beautiful journey to watch. And I think I said it last time and I say it to you all the time, but just a uh, deep gratitude. I know for me and so many other people for just creating this space. Thanks so much, Danielle. This podcast was brought to you by Sana Skin Studio. Be sure to use my code, the no glow for $25 off of your first facial at Sana when booking via sanaskinstudio.com. More than a skin studio, Sana is a movement towards healthier skin and self-love. Thank you so much for listening to The No. If you loved this episode, go ahead and share it with a friend. 
Words are so powerful and someone may need to hear what we covered today. And if you really loved this episode, please take a moment to rate the show and leave a review. Your comments are so important and valued and they give other listeners insight on what to expect on The Know. You can connect with me personally via Instagram at Nikki Sap Spo and The Know with Nikki Spo. My hope for you today is that you are fearless in looking inward so that you can be your highest, most authentic self and go after the life of your dreams. Bet MGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at Bet MGM. Simply download the Bet MGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then, Place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Virginia today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager. Only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C.